Is God good or great or what? I have been so, I have been so anticipating today. Amen. Yeah. I, uh, I knew what Robin and what Mama T was going to do with the signing and that, or I knew the signing was going to take place. I didn't know Mama T was going to do it. She did a good job. Amen. She did great. And then I knew what this was going to be, and it's just exciting. I, it's, I just knew it was going to be a great day. And I'm so excited about the message today. I have prayed and prayed, God, help me to get these truths across. Because it's just, it goes along with the whole theme of Him being worthy and us worshiping Him. And so I'm just excited and grateful that you're here. And I do want to pause, and let's go ahead and take a word of prayer. So if you just bow your heads right there. You know, I, I don't know what's on your mind and heart today, um, but it's really one of those times that we just don't want to miss God. I know it's true every Sunday. Really, I hope it is with you, but it really is. So, so no matter what it is that's on your mind this afternoon, could you just ask God to help you lay it aside and just bask in, in the time of worship that we've had and the time of worship we're going to have in the Word of God. Ask God specifically um, this morning to speak to your heart through the Holy Spirit. And Father, we do exactly that right now. We are so grateful for, Father, being a, a part of this church. And God, I'm grateful for all the church. I am. Father, our, our community is blessed with so many churches that faithfully preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we are so thankful for that. But Lord, honestly, because I get to be a part of this one, I'm extremely grateful for it. I'm glad for the folks, Lord. I'm glad for the ones who serve faithfully in our worship team. And the ones who share with their voices. And the ones who share with their praise and worship week in and week out. So we are a grateful people. Now, God, again, I'm asking Holy Spirit more specifically of the Godhead. Would you just fill this place with your presence? We know you're everywhere. We know you're everywhere. But may we just submit to your presence right now. And when this is all said and done today, may we just have a deeper and closer appreciation of who you are. Jesus, we pray this in your precious name. Amen and amen. So this is the last message in um, our, you know, My Country, My Calling series, and it's called The Power of You. The Power of You. Because amazingly, God has chosen us as his ambassadors, as his messengers, as his hands and feet to reach out and touch culture, wherever it might be, whether it's here or in another country, God has enabled us, empowered us, and commissioned us to be his hands and feet across the world, and particularly in our community, and in our country, and in our state. So we want to reach out and understand today the power of one, the power of you. Our scripture today is taken from Isaiah chapter 6, verse number 1. If you want to go ahead and turn there. And again, I'm just excited some things that God shared with me in my heart to share with you um, today. Now, of course, if, if you've turned on your television at all this past week or so, then you know what the big news is. It's the 50th anniversary of the landing on the moon and Neil Armstrong taking those first steps on the moon 50 years ago. Just interestingly enough, how many of you today um, are over 50 years old? 50 or over? Raise your hands. Yeah, okay, look around. That's a great portion of the crowd. Okay, now how many of you then are under 50 years old? Raise your hands. Okay, good deal. Well, we old people have got y'all beat. Let me just tell you right now. Okay, so so here's what I told Judy. You know, it's one of those aha moments that shouldn't be an aha moment. But it was an aha moment. I said, Judy, do you realize that every person under 50 years old did not experience that moment? So about, uh, about 40% of our congregation this morning, you guys weren't even alive. You weren't even born. And for those of us who were 50 or older, you know, we were alive for that moment. And it takes on a whole different meaning. You know, it's one thing to be there and experience it. And I know if you, were, if you were 50 years old, that means like you were just born, so you don't know a clue about the moonwalk uh, but, or the moon landing. But however, but if you're like, I was, I was 15 years old at that time, and Judy was like 8. No, just kidding. No, she's a little older than that. But, but anyway, you know, but yeah. But, but so amazingly, we got to experience it. But the rest of you guys, and that's a huge chunk. Just think, 50 or under, you get to read about it. You saw the specials about it. They probably learned about it in school. But you weren't alive to experience it. And that's just amazing to me. But then, but then we're going to go just a step further. There were three guys that, that were on that 
that spacecraft that, that they experienced it in a way that we who watched it on television never could. Those of us who watched it on our black and white television, they saw it in a whole different way. And, of course, two of those guys, Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong, actually left the command module and went down to the surface of the moon, and they experienced it in another whole different level. But then there's the one guy. Then there's one guy, and I'm not sure how they did the luck of the draw thing, you know, Buzz or Neil, Buzz or Neil, Buzz or Neil, but the bottom line is Neil won out. And he was chosen to be the first person to ever walk on the moon. Just imagine that. He takes the steps down, you know, down the ladder, and, you know, this is one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. He takes that step, and 20 minutes later, Buzz does, but Buzz was always going to be the second guy. One person, Neil, really understood the power of that moment, you know. And, you know, it's amazing to me, you know, there have been, there have been people say, that didn't really happen. That was all a Hollywood production. You know, there's always been the conspirators and all that stuff going on. So there's people who doubted. There's people who weren't even alive to experience it. There's people of us who were alive and can remember watching it on television. Those three guys. But Neil was the guy who actually did it for the first time. Well, we have Isaiah this morning, and he's the one guy. He's the one guy. He experienced this God in a huge way, but just like you who were not born can learn about it, and just like us who were born can see it and experience it in a general way, and how the other two experience it in a more narrow way, we get to go into the throne room of God and experience an encounter with God like no other. But here's the deal. It doesn't have to be like no other. Because we're going to see today that what happened to Isaiah can happen to us. Not exactly. Not exactly, but the encounter with God is something not only God would allow, he would invite us to. So, so we got several things, and the first thing we're going to look at today is what he experienced. What he experienced. And it starts in Isaiah 6-1, the very first part of that verse. And I've always loved this because it's always intrigued me. And it says there in Isaiah 6-1, the very first part, it says, In the year... That King Uzziah died, and he goes on, I'm going to give you the, I won't leave you hanging. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. So, so something significant happened that marked part two, I saw the Lord. It was a marker of sorts. And, and King Uzziah was, a, was somebody that Isaiah looked up to and impacted his life. And so that's why it was such a marker for him. When he said, in the year that King Uzziah died, something really big happened in my life. And, you know, King Uzziah, you know, his dad, I think, if I remember correctly, was Amaziah. And he was a good king. And trust me, there, there were not a lot of good kings around. It seems like, you know, bad king, bad king, bad king, bad king, good king, bad king, bad king, bad king. You know, over and over again, there's these bad kings. But all of a sudden, Amaziah comes along, if I've got the right name there. And, you know, he was a good king. And then... Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king. And he was a good king. Okay? Here's what it says in um, 2 Chronicles 26.5. He, Uzziah, he sought God. That's a big one. He sought God. Now watch. Watch. This is big. He sought God throughout the lifetime of... Of Zechariah. And I love the way the Bible describes Zechariah here. He saw God throughout the lifetime of Zechariah, the teacher of the fear of God. So Zechariah's impact in Uzziah's life was that he taught Uzziah to fear God. Now, now you do understand, I always want to make sure, you do understand that this is not, oh no, he's going to zap me. That's not the kind of fear it is. It's just, it's just like huge reverence. You know, this reverence for God. Okay? And so, so when, when he says that Zechariah was the teacher of the fear of God, he was a teacher to other people of having reverence for God. And, and it says throughout the lifetime of Zechariah, the teacher of the fear of God, during the time that he, that, that he sought the Lord, God gave him success. So Zechariah poured out into the life of Uzziah... Okay, And throughout the whole time that Zechariah was alive, Uzziah sought God. Now, now let me tell you something. we got to be ready for something. 
And, and students, this is so true for you guys. You know, you may have a mom or a dad who teaches you um, the fear of the Lord, who teaches you to reverence God, who teaches you to respect God. But here's my question. What are you going to do the day comes when you leave home and go to college? When mom or dad is not there to guide you and direct you, what are you going to do? Because then it's, listen, it's on you. It's on you. Okay? Sometimes we men are a little stubborn with God stuff. And so God has to give us a wife who helps us to reverence God. But my guys, my question is this. What are we going to do when, when the wife is not there? Whether it be like permanent or temporary, what are we going to do? See, it's important, students listen to me. It's important, and, and other folks, it's important that we own this. It's nice that, that God sends us mentors and God sends us people to help us in our journey. But it's so important that we prepare for the day when we've got to stand on our own two feet spiritually. Mom is great. Dad is great. Grandma's great. Grandpa's great. That's awesome. But you've got to be ready for the time when it's you. It's you. You know, I look at, I look at Chris out here. You know, in, in very few months... Okay, they're going to leave a lot, a chunk of their support group here because God's calling them to the mission field in Spain. And it's going to be really important for Chris and Kim and Sonny to be anchored firmly because they're going, there'll be some folks there they know, but not this group of people. And so it's important they be prepared. It's important we be prepared for that time when we have to own it, when it is ours. And mom and dad, I'll say it one more time in case you've missed it. Your important job with your children is to make sure they own Jesus. Not, not so that they get out in college and they go crazy and haywire. Or while you're not watching on Friday night, they're out in some back seat or doing drugs or whatever. Your primary responsibility is to make sure your kids know Jesus and own Jesus. It is huge, okay? Because Uzziah did awesome when Zechariah was alive. But guess what happened? Zechariah dies. He's done. The teacher of the fear of God is gone. Anybody want to guess what happens to Uzziah? It's very interesting. It's very eye-opening. And it's a great warning. Here's what it says just a few verses down. You know, the first verse was 26.5. This is 26.16. So, so 11 verses down. Okay? So... When he became strong, let me translate that for you. When he became independent, when he became, I don't need anybody, when he became too big for his britches, when he said, I can do this on my own, when he became strong, he grew arrogant. As soon as the teacher of the fear of God is gone out of his life, he becomes independent. He says, I can do it. I can handle it. I know she couldn't, but I can. I know he couldn't, but I can. You know, I can do this. I can. I can. And man, when you start saying I can, you are in deep weeds. You are just in deep weeds. So, so he became strong and he became arrogant. I know more than you do. I'm more spiritual than you are. Very arrogant. Okay? When that happened... It led to his own destruction. See, when you're sitting there and you're saying, I can do this because I'm better and I'm smarter. And it may, they can't handle it, but I can. It led to their own, his own destruction. You know, in Proverbs 16, 25, there's a scripture that says, there's a way that seems right to God. I'm sorry, there's a way that seems right to man. But the end is his destruction. The end is death. I am sure Uzziah said, I can do this, I can handle it. He took his own path and it ended in his own destruction. It says there a little bit later on, He acted unfaithfully against the Lord, his God, by going into the Lord's sanctuary to burn incense on the incense altar. So here's what happens. So, so Mr. Uzziah is so puffed up and full of himself. I can do this. I can handle it. He gets all puffy with himself. And so he decides to take the job of the priest. And he goes into the, to the, the altar, the, the holy place. He goes in. And it was not his place. And it was not anything. He should not have been there, king or not. He goes in to burn incense to God. And that was not cool. Eighty priests go in and say... King, you are so far out of line. You have got to get out of here. 
Before he could even get out, God struck him with leprosy. And then when he saw the leprosy, he got out. It was too late. For the rest of his life. This was not one of those times when God said, Oh, I know you... You didn't mean, because I'm sure Uzziah's going, didn't mean to, God, didn't mean to. And, and I'm, you know, sometimes God says, okay, well, this was not an okay, well, time. For the rest of his life, he was separated from his family, from God, from his throne. Still king, he just couldn't rule. And he died a leper. And that happened because he didn't own it. It happened because when the strong influence of Zechariah was taken away, he didn't own his own faith. you got to own your faith. you got to own your faith. It's not the preacher's job. It's not the youth pastor's job. It is the parent's job instilling into the life of their children that they own Jesus. Don't miss that. Because I'm telling you something, there will be an accountability time. There is something called the judgment seat of Christ, and we will give an account to those we were supposed to influence, pastors included, those we were supposed to influence, and who we did not. So, so in the year that King Uzziah died, you know, Isaiah looks at this man who started out so well. He so faithfully served God, and then he sees he becomes pride and full of arrogance, and then he becomes a leper, and he dies isolated from the throne, isolated from the temple. He saw that, and it impacted him. So while he was at the temple one day, it simply says... He saw the Lord. Now, here's your first big takeaway. We have got to be sensitive enough and wise enough to recognize when God puts things in our life, okay, to get our attention and direct our paths. It could be a tragic accident. Maybe you're, maybe you're one of those kids or adults who love to text and drive. And then suddenly you get a message on Facebook or you see it on the news that a good friend of yours was texting and driving and was killed in an accident. And all of a sudden you go, oh, and you never text and drive again. It was such a, oh, man, and it changed that part of your life. So sometimes tragic accidents come in. Sometimes an illness. Sometimes an illness comes into our life and we realize how recklessly we're living, and all of a sudden that, that illness comes in and changes us. We all of a sudden realize how desperately we need God, and you and God, you and God haven't talked a long time. And so God uses that illness to bring you back, to, to get your attention. Um, it, it could be the death of a loved one. You know, Maybe your husband dies, your wife dies, but God uses that to get your attention. And I, you know, one of the ones I love to see is the birth of a baby. You know, when a baby comes in, it often changes things. I love the story of Billy Atkinson, and this is Sheila and Kevin Dowdy's um, son-in-law. He was raised in a non-Christian home. He said, nobody in my family is a Christian. I said, well, tell me your Jesus story then. Because very obviously, I, mean, I could tell the man who met Jesus, what happened? He said, well, and by the way, he would tell you this. They were living together, and they had a child. He tell you, we did it wrong, and now we're making it right. The day I married him, he said, we did it wrong, now we're making it right. Here's what happened. He said, Dwayne, for the first time, when I looked at the face of that little baby, I knew that there was a God, and I knew I did not know him. And that led me to my faith in Jesus Christ. It was a wake-up moment for him that he needed to know God personally. So, so learn to be alert when God sends these things in our lives. Um, I've got a slide to throw up here, you know, and, and it's going to show a tree, and it says this. Make a point to remember this place of God's activity in your life. Learn to make it a point to remember this place of God's activity in your life. If you've got the app open, it's on the app, okay? And it shows a heart carved into a tree. All right? And, and the point is not to go out and carve hearts and trees. But when you see that, to remember. If God has given you something in your life that's called attention, don't forget that. I stumbled into Psalm 7711 in the message. Psalm 7711 in the message. Now, keep in mind, I always like to tell you this. You know, the message is, is a, 
It's almost looser than a paraphrase. It's one man's thought process with the Word of God. It's great for casual reading, but I would not make it my main study Bible. You just need to know that, okay? But listen how the message reads with Psalm 77, 11. The psalmist says, Once again, once again, I'll go over what God has done. So the psalmist says, Once again, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to remember and ponder what God has done. If you do not do that, you need to do that. You need to do that. You need, listen, every one of you, every one of you need to have a time when you sit down and remember what God has done in your life. Because I promise you, if you are a Christ follower, if you're a God follower, He has done some crazy good things in your life. And there's real strength in sitting down and remembering what He has done. I'll go over what God has done. Then He says this, Lay out on the table the ancient wonders. Lay out on the table... The ancient wonders. I'm going to lay out. I was sitting there in my chair. Um, we had a, a couple of grandkids up, Ellie and James up. And Ellie had a photo album that she had put together. And she's only like six. And so she pulled this out. And I said, what is this? She said, oh, this is Ellie's book. And these were pictures that she picked up. So I started going to these pictures. Oh, my gosh. It was so wonderful. It was like, oh, I remember this. It was so cool. This happened. And I remember when James was that size and Ellie was that size. And I laid out on the table the ancient wonders. When's the last time that you laid out on the table, metaphorically, when's the last time you laid out on the table the things that God has done for you? When's the last time you stopped, you paused, sat down and said, look what God has done. Look at the ancient wonders in my life. If you have not done that, you need to do it. This needs to be a habit. This needs to be a discipline in your life. If you don't sit down and remember what God has done for you, if you do not sit down and go over the ancient wonders, you will be filled with ingratitude and you will lose your passion and love for God. You've got to pause and remember what He's done. I will lay out on the table the ancient wonders. I'll ponder all that you've accomplished. I'll meditate on all the things, God, that you have accomplished. And, and... Give a long, I love these words, and give a long, loving look at your acts. So, here we have Isaiah. In the year that King Uzziah died, he's in the temple, and he has a vision, I saw the Lord. In this, in this year that, that a man I respected ended so tragically, I saw the Lord. So you've got to ask your question, what did he see? What did he see? Well, let's look and see what he saw. It starts with the second part of verse 1 and goes into verse number 2. Here's what he saw. He, now, anyone know who he was? He is God. Someone say amen. He's God, okay? He was, God was, sitting, seated on a high and lofty throne, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. So, so what he saw was, was an image in his mind and a vision. Well, let's just say vision, not in his mind. He saw God high lifted up, seated on a throne. And notice what it says there. I almost missed this. And the hem of his robe filled the temple. Now, what does that speak of? It speaks of how massive God is. How big is your God? Are you like the genie in Aladdin with an itty-bitty living space for your God? Itty-bitty living space. Do you see what it says? This, I, this was big, I thought. It doesn't say God filled the temple. It said just the hem of his robe filled the temple. How big is your God? Listen, you've got a big God. Whether you know it or not, your God is massively huge. Okay, so so we see it. We were down at Cash River um, Welcome Center down there south of here, you know, in the swamp, and and you know we're going through. They got all this stuff, you know, and my, what caught my eye was there were four glass boxes, Tracy, over here, and in the glass boxes were snakes, and I'm not talking about stuffed snakes. I'm talking about the kind who are still breathing. So it's one of those things I'm repulsed by but drawn to. I don't know if it's a man thing or what. I don't like snakes. I don't like spiders and snakes. 
And that ain't what it takes to love me. Okay, so if you're in the 60s, you remember that. Okay, so, so I, was, I, was worn, I was pushed away, but strangely drawn. And so number two snake was a timber rattlesnake. Okay, now they had like a box, and it was, I think, a cardboard box about this tall and this big. And coming out this side was the timber rattler's head. Okay, which I kind of thought was amazing because it really wasn't that big. It was about the size of a, a good size walnut, big, you know, maybe in the shell walnut. Okay, and then coming out the other side was a tail. Okay, and and it had I, it was impressive. It had like ten rattles on it. Okay, but because of the size of the head, I'm going. He's not too big. Okay, so then I called Judy over, who loves snakes also, and we were looking at this thing. And I went, Judy, look inside. And what I saw and thought was a piece of newspaper or rag or something was this dude's body. And this sucker was this big around. And all of a sudden I realized, oh no, he's bigger than the little head. He's bigger than the little tail. There's a whole bunch of rattlesnake stuff into that box. Well, I'm trying to tell you, God is more than just a little old God that you worship on Sunday. And God is bigger than a God that you pray to at your dinner table. Your God is big. He's real big. Let him be big. Let him be big. So, so when Isaiah sees this, he sees just the hymn. And his hymn, in description, his hymn fills the whole temple. Then he goes on and says this. Seraphim were standing above him. They each had six wings. With two they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And there's probably enough, we could spend 15 minutes probably on that, which we're not going to do. But you have to ask the question, what is this seraphim? What is this? Well, I'll tell you, it's mentioned only here in the Bible. Now, there's a reference in Revelation 4.8 that talks about a creature with six wings. That probably could be the seraphim too. But by name, the seraphim are only mentioned here. In Christian traditions, okay, the seraphim is the highest ranking of the heavenly creatures. In the Jewish culture, it's about midway through. Okay? So that's what this seraphim is. So when Isaiah sees this, when he sees that the hymn fills the temple, he also sees these creatures. Now, in my mind's eye, I need to tell you this, in my mind's eye, somehow I always thought like there were like two of them. Like, hi, how are you? I'm fine. Okay? That's kind of just how I saw it. And then as I studied this, I realized it was much bigger than that. The seraphim, um, is, the name means burning ones. Something, something like something ablaze. Okay? And I found this wonderful commentary that, that just jumped off the page at me. Here's what it says. They are living flames of pure nuclear-powered praise. And they, oh yeah, hello. Someone got it like I did. You know, living flames, because they're burning ones, living flames of pure nuclear-powered praise. And their only job is to declare the holiness of God and do whatever He bids. And we do not know how many there were. Okay? We don't know. But, but let's just, for fun, and I think we have time, for fun, let's jump over to Revelation chapter 5. Now, in Revelation chapter 5, I read this scripture to you last week, and we sang about it in Is He Worthy? We sang about it today, okay? This is where, if you remember last week, it's where you know, John writes and says, and they sang a new song. So, so what, what, I like this. So what they're going to, what they see and what's happening in heaven during this worship time is so big, they had to write a new song. So I know, if you're like, you know, I, I understand. It seems like every time you turn around, there's a new song. You know, not necessarily here, but if you listen to CCM music, you know, contemporary Christian music, every, there's a new song. You know, and you've got to say sometimes, well, why won't 50 songs do? 
Well, God's just bigger than 50 songs. He's just bigger than 50 songs. That's why. You know? 50 songs just can't talk about it. And, and, and I'm going to tell you, I'm going to help you out because some of y'all need to know this. And there is such a renewal of the appreciation of God's grace that a lot of the younger men and women, Christians, they can't stop writing. I tell you what, in my 65 years, I am just, just relishing how wonderful God's amazing grace is. I just can't believe it. So, so the situation in Revelation 5 is so big, they've got to write a new song about it. Okay? Here's what the song says. You heard it last week. You are worthy, you Jesus, are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you made a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign on the earth. That magnificent truth of what Jesus had done caused them to write a new song in heaven. Okay? Then... Now, here's where it applies. In verse number 11 of Revelation 5, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and also the living creatures and the elders. Their number were countless thousands plus thousands of thousands. So it's a, it's a number that we cannot comprehend of the angels that are joined in worship about Jesus being slaughtered and bringing people from every tribe, nation, and tongue into family with God. And they had to write a new song about it, and God calls in thousands and thousands and millions and millions of angels to celebrate that truth. And I'm going to tell you what, if we would get a hold of that truth, we would let no angels do our worship. We would be doing our worship and praising God. It's something worthy of praise. So we don't know how many seraphim, but we have an idea from the volume of their voice, an idea, if we take from Revelation 5, just how big it was. And so he's, we've got what he experienced, what he saw. Now, what did he hear? What did he hear? Look at verse number 3, the first part. And one called to another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord's army, is the Lord of armies. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord's armies. So I told you earlier in the seraphim, their job was to declare the holiness of God. Now, if you're like me and you think there's a couple of them, I guess that'd be kind of impressive, you know. Here's a God that's so big, okay, that only the hymn will fit in the temple, you know, you know and a couple of seraphim going, holy, 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 yo, dude, holy, 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 yo, okay. I think that's missing it. I think there are thousands and thousands and millions and millions declaring the holiness of God. I mean, just a massive, a massive chorus of the holy. And you know why it took that? Because God's that big and that holy. You know? See, see, that's why you've got to understand something. You know, three chorus, or excuse me, three verses of a song sometimes don't get the job done. I mean, we have got to understand the power and magnitude of worship. Because they, but because of the God that we're serving and who saved us and who loves us. So, so they're going, holy, holy, holy. Now, here's the deal. Holy, holy, holy. When you have three in the Old Testament and New Testament like this, it's not one plus one plus one. It's not holy, holy, holy. It's Holy times holy times holy. It's perfection times perfection times perfection. It's God's power times God's power. God times. We cannot imagine how big this is. I mean, and that's why I said there must have been thousands of these. There must have been millions of these. Because of what's going to happen in the next verse, we're going to see. So, so here we have all this going on, this crying. It's the Richter scale. You know the Richter scale? See, if you have a, a, a Richter, on the Richter scale, one magnitude earthquake, and then you have a three, okay? Well, you, your mind would go, oh, one and three, so it's not that much bigger. No, it's one times ten times ten. So a magnitude three is 30 times stronger than a one. 
Well, again, only in the Old Testament, in this scripture, is this triplet of holy, holy, holy. And it's, it's, like, it's like an explosion of God's holiness in worship. And the reason why is, that's how big he is. And that's ho- how holy he is. So the seraphim is just reverberating all over the heavens. Holy, holy, holy. I'm sure Isaiah's going, just couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe it. And then in the second part of verse 3, I love this. His glory fills the whole earth. So holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills. Someone say fills. Yeah, yeah, it, it fills. Now, this is not like a little splash is over. Okay, so so here here in 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 heaven is this magnitude of holy, 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 and it's been times ten, times a thousand, times a million, and it's so great it splashes over and fills the earth. God's glory fills the earth. See what happened? Now, it, what happens up there? is out there and down here. What happens in heaven, the holiness of God, the worship of God is so big, it splashes over all creation. When, when Neil landed on the moon in 1969, he encountered the glory of God. When, whenever we look out into our microscopes and we see the Milky Way, we encounter the holiness of God. If someday but Jesus doesn't come back and we take a rocket ship and we go to Mars, we're going to encounter the holiness of God. And when you go home today and you look in your yard and you see the beautiful flowers, you're going to encounter the holiness of God. When you look in the face of your brand new baby, Katie's brand new baby, you're just going to see the glory of God. Are you getting this? I mean, it's like a bowl that's so full, it overruns. That's what happens when it says, His glory fills the whole earth. A while back, I used this. It's Elizabeth Barrett Browning. Earth is crammed with heaven. Earth is crammed with heaven. And every common bush is a fire with God. Every coming bush is a fire with God. And only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit around it and pluck blackberries. You know what's wrong with the people of God? We don't see the glory of God. We don't see the glory of God in our little babies. We don't see the glory of God in our marriages. We don't see the glory of God in our worship services. And you know why? Because we're blind to it. We're too busy eating blackberries. It's time that we take our shoes off and worship holy God and He deserves to be worshipped. I'm telling you, man, I love this. His glory fills the earth. So He experiences, He sees, and He hears. You can't experience, see, and hear God without something happening in your life. Well, what happens in Isaiah? Well, the Bible says that as he stood there, the foundations of the doorways shook, further encountering this, this is verse 4, and the sound of their voices and the temples were filled with smoke. So the whole place is shaking from all this reverberation of God's glory. And all of a sudden, something happens to Isaiah. All of a sudden, something begins changing in his heart. It's a grace awakening. It's a grace awakening. As he stands there before holy God, all of a sudden he goes, wait a minute. What am I doing here? What am I doing here? What is God doing here in my life? Every day, every day, I breathe his glorious air. Every day I eat his glorious food, but I'm in total oblivion to who he is on this earth and what he's doing in this earth. And the natural response was humility in Isaiah. See, if we, 
if we experience God, and if we see God, and if we hear God, it's going to change us. And we're going to go from puffy, arrogant worshipers to a sense of humility. And when we walk into a room like this, we can do nothing more. No matter if it's loud, soft, new, or old, all we can do is he sings these wonderful words of Jesus. All we can do is worship. All of a sudden, the insignificance just don't matter. Well, in Isaiah's case, here's what it looked like. He said in verse number 5, Woe is me, for I am ruined. Because I am a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips. Because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of armies. See, for the first time, now hang on to this, what I'm fixing to say. For the first time, Isaiah, see, Isaiah would have had no problem going, yeah, you know those, those people outside here? Those people, they got an issue. They're heathens. But for the first time, after encountering God, experiencing God, seeing God, and hearing God, for the first time, Isaiah realizes, hang on, I wait for it, he was typical of his generation. He was no different than the other parts of the generation. Their, their glib and unthinking, mindless worship, he was no different from them. And that happened when he came into counter with the God. When he experienced, heard, and saw God. All of a sudden he realized, woe is me! Woe is me! Yeah, I get they're unclean, but I'm unclean. See, when we come into worship, we've got to ask God to do something. You know, I, I asked this question um, oh, a month ago. We were there on a Wednesday night, and I said, you know, guys... I said, you know, every year, if you come on Sunday mornings, you hear about 50 sermons a year. Okay? Regardless who's talking, it doesn't matter. What's that doing for you? How does it change your life? If you go to church twice on Sunday, you hear 100 sermons a year. How are you different? What's it doing to you? If you come on Wednesday night, now we're doing prayer meeting, praise the Lord, because it's really doing great. But you can hear up to 140, 50 sermons a year. What's it doing for you? How's it changing you? And my fear is it's not. And the reason I fear it's not is because this is what we think is worship. But letting the Word of God get into us and abide in us and change us, that's worship. And then we go out those doors with all this change that the Word of God worked in our life. We go out those doors and our community changes and our state changes and our nation changes and our culture changes. Because as God changes us, God uses us to change others. So they said, woe is me. I'm unclean. I live amongst these people who are unclean. And this is the best part, I think. The last part, verse 6 and 7. Then one of the seraphim flew to me. So, so these guys are, are doing their thing, you know, and one peels off, goes to the altar, and with a pair of tongs, takes one of the, the fiery coals. By the way, the altar represents the holiness of God. So he goes off, peels off, gets a pair of tongs. Notice he uses his hand. Gets a pair of tongs and takes one of the coals from the altar. Let's read it. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, and his hand was a glowing coal taken from the altar with tongs. He touched, this is too good, don't you miss this. He touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your iniquity is removed, and your sin is atoned for. Does that remind you of something? That's the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Back in the Old Testament. He took the, the living coal from the, from the holiness of God, reached over and touched the mouth of Isaiah and says, Your iniquity is removed and, and your, no, your sin is atoned for. That is what Jesus does for us when we trust Him as Lord and Savior. Our sin is atoned for and our iniquity is removed. And that's why we got to worship Him. We're, we're not going to heaven because we go to church. We're not going to heaven because we read our Bible. We're not going to church because we give money. We're going to church because God, because we're going to heaven 
because God declared us righteous. He declared us right by the spilt blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. This is huge, guys. This is big. And I'm telling you, when we understand this and we grasp this and we get this, we're changed. Our marriages are changed. Our parenting skills are changed. Our priorities are changed. Our calendars are changed. Our checkbook is changed. We have got to get in the throne room where Isaiah was and experience God the way he did. All right, here's the deal. We didn't get to talk about it. But when Jesus was on the cross, he said it's finished. The temple, the curtain was torn in two. Remember that part? And the earth quaked and the rocks were cracked. In in Acts chapter 4, there's a prayer meeting going on. And the people prayed. And the Bible says that the room where they were was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. We will never experience an earthquake because of a cross that we die on. That was Jesus' alone. But that earthquake declared... The mighty power of his sacrifice. We probably won't experience the way Isaiah did a vision in the temple like Isaiah did. But we can and should experience an Acts 4.31 experience where we pray before God and we worship God and the place is shaken because of the power of God in our prayer life. We should experience worship services where the place is shaken because of the power of God. And brothers and sisters, when this happens in our lives, when we experience this, things change. I know so many of us are frustrated with America and where it's at. You want it changed? Then it starts with us. It doesn't start with the White House. I'm, we've got living proof over the years and decades that one man in the White House does not change the country. 400 and something people sitting in a hall called the House of Representatives does not change a country. A hundred people sitting in the Senate doesn't change a country. Jesus Christ changes countries. Jesus Christ changes, yes, amen. Jesus Christ changes countries. And, and Jesus Christ lived out in God's people, changes countries. But we've got to do what Isaiah said. You know, I heard a voice. Who shall, who shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah, here am I. Send me. Send me. The power of you. Send me. I had to look it up. The story of the little red hen. The little red hen gets a bag of seed and goes to his buds. Her buds, I guess. He says, hey, I'm going to plant this seed. Anybody want to help? Yep. We don't want to help. Seed grows. Hey, anybody want to help harvest the wheat? Nope. Sure don't. Well, I'll go harvest the wheat then. Little bit ahead, comes back and says, hey, I've got this. Anybody want to help me make flour? Nope. Don't want to help you do that either. Okay, I'll go do it myself. Makes a loaf of bread. Comes back. Hey, anybody want to eat bread? Oh, yeah! Woo! Yeah! And little red hand said, nah. <laughs> no. Well, God will never do that to you. But one time, I wonder if God is like the little red hand. Will anybody teach a class? Will anybody keep the nursery? Will anybody give sacrificially? Will anybody share Jesus with their neighbor? Will anybody? And when is the, when is the church going to quit saying no and say yes to Creator God? When are we as a church going to make Him our number one priority and His will? When are we going to be the, the, the modern day seraphim whose job is to declare the holiness of God and do His best and call? And that is when culture will change. Would you bow your heads, please? Thank you for your patience this morning. I know there's a lot to digest today. I understand that. I don't ever say this, but I'll say it now. You know, Judy does Facebook Live with this. This is available on Facebook. It may be one of those messages you need to come back and listen to again. Um, It's on our website, 
Dorsville.com. The messages are available there. I think they're available even on YouTube, iTunes. Available there. This might be a message that if you're seriously interested in, in allowing God to get in His throne room and allowing God to get a hold of you like never before. Oh, you trust this has been my prayer. Oh, I try to pray about these sermons, but you all heard me this morning and said, God, please, please mark my life with this. God, please help me speak your word faithfully and truthfully today with boldness. That was my prayer. So if you're interested in that, if that's your goal, if that's, if that's your desire, then let me challenge you to guard this seed in your heart and maybe go back and listen again. That might cement in your heart. Now we come down to our decision time. There's a time when you get to act on the truth you've heard. For some of you, you heard a little bit about the cross and you heard about God's amazing grace and how good God is. And it might be that you have a Billy Atkinson moment this morning. Just like Billy saw his little girl's face for the first time and knew there was a God and he didn't know him. And that led him to faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe you heard something today that's drawing you to faith in Jesus Christ. My friend Brent will be standing down front and we would love to share about our friend Jesus Christ with you. With you. Maybe you're here today and you say, I love the way Brent said it, you know, hey, I kind of like this church, you know. We'd love to have you come and say, hey, I'd like to be a member of this fellowship. I'd like, I'd like to come and be a member. You know, we'd love to tell you about that. Maybe there's someone here today who just needs to come and pray. Maybe, maybe you have a neighbor, maybe you have a friend, maybe a family member, maybe a child. Maybe your marriage is in deep weeds. just want to come and pray. If you'd like, we've got some folks who will pray with you. We can do that. But let's ask God to do something big in our lives. Let's expect God to do something big in our lives. Father, I can't thank you enough for the privilege that was mine to share today. And God, in all transparency and authenticity, I pray, Father, burn this in my heart. Burn this in my heart. And Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ. Burn it in our hearts. Help us understand how massively big that you are. How massively wonderful you are. And how your holiness and glory fill this earth. May we learn to see you everywhere we go. Whether it's on the job, whether it's at school, whether it's in the woods. That we see you as we see you, may it impact us and motivate us to serve and share. In Jesus, I pray this in your precious name.